You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Mic check, one, two, woo! Friday. It's Friday. If you're listening to this on a Thursday or a different day, I, I edited this for launch on a Friday and I'm trying to hype you guys up because I know a lot of you guys are working full time somewhere and Friday marks the end of the work week and the beginning of the weekend. And for some of you guys, this might be the first weekend that you're actually getting ready to climb a tree and get into the woods. And so I am fired up for you guys. And I'm excited about this podcast that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, You may or may not know him. His name is Mark Kenyon. He is the host of the Wired to Hunt podcast over there on Meat Eater. And uh, I pretty much have to blackmail him. I have some dirt on him. And that's why he continues to come on my podcast. And uh, he he doesn't need to. He doesn't choose to. I'm currently blackmailing him. And that is why I get all of these people. I know all the dirt on them and I will, I threaten to expose them if they are not, uh, willing to participate in my, in my podcast. So that's why Tony comes on. That's why Justin Zarr comes on. That's why Mark comes on. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason why the nine finger Chronicles is so great. Uh, because of the blackmail aspect there. So that's what I got going on over here. Um, Dude, huge cold front came through Iowa and I'm starting to get jacked up, dude. And I'm looking forward to this upcoming season, man. I got in the uh, tree last night with all of my saddle gear, saddle hunting gear. And I was just kind of climbing up and down and trying to get my ropes in the right position and basically getting all my gear set for my first hunt. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly feel like there might be an opportunity with a saddle in South Dakota for mule deer. There's a couple places where they like to hang out and kind of, kind of come through that are by some trees and I think it would be sweet if I could get in there and uh, and get up, get up in a tree, man. It, it, it would be a very long hike in there with gear, like a saddle and, uh, you know, saddle uh, like climbing sticks or whatever. But I think it, I, I could make it work. So I'm going to bring, I'm, I'm going to be prepared for anything. I'll just say that. So um, set up my gear, shot my bow, started to shoot my bow again. And because of my shoulder injury, I had to lay off for a while. But I'll tell you this right now. I, I'm still on. I just got to get back into the swing of things. I do need to do a little bit of adjustments. I'm currently shooting low and right. And I think... One second here. One second here. I'm low and right. And I feel like I'll be... But I'm consistent low right. 
And so I just need to tweak my site and uh, that should solve that problem. So I'm really looking forward to uh, dropping some 60 yarders here later this week. Uh, dude, I tell you what, shooting your bow is fun, but shooting a bow at a very long distance, you know, 60, 100 yards, that's really fun because you, by the time you let the arrow go, you can almost set your bow down and watch the arrow hit the target. And that's really cool, man. I, that That's my favorite part of archery is watching the arch in archery. Can't really get that at 20 yards, but at long, that's why I like the longer distances. Anyway, blah, blah, blah on that BS. Um, what else? I had something else to say. Ooh, check this out. Okay, so I am in the process of starting a brand new company. Um, the Shopify... Uh, I just I just finished setting up. It's not live yet, but I just finished setting up a storefront where I'm going to be selling. The first pro- item that I'm going to sell is a Nine Finger Chronicles hat, and it's sweet. And I think you should go buy some for your friends and you. And if you are a uh, huge fan of the the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Empire, you need to go buy a hat. And uh, I'll let you guys know when they are available. That's about it. Uh, Mark Kenyon today on the podcast, we will be talking about um, our out-of-state hunts. We're going to be talking about things like using topo lines to identify uh, to identify uh, terrain features while e-scouting that you can then make adjustments on when you actually get there to hunt. We talk about uh, in-season adjustments uh, as far as strategies, uh, strategy is concerned. And so there's a lot of uh, detail, in-depth conversation in this episode about the upcoming season. You know, in a way, it's a BS session, but we actually do a couple of deep dives into a couple of the properties that he's going to be hunting and location that locations that he's going to be hunting this year. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, before I get into today's episode, though, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through these... Um, uh, these partners of the podcast real quick and I, and basically say thank you to them because without their support, this isn't happening. And then I'd have to start charging for it and nobody wants to pay for podcasts. So uh, tethered, if you are looking for a saddle and I'll tell you this, the new lockdown I had, I was wearing it yesterday. I love the adjustable um mesh in the back that can stretch out and make a bigger seat basically uh, that covers more of the the butt and the legs and so go check out the tethered uh, the tethered lockdown over at uh, tetherednation.com and all the accessories and and climbing sticks that they have as well wasp archery uh, here coming up in october i believe we're going to do wasp week and wasp week is going to be uh, three guys who are connected to wasp And I'm going to have three episodes that week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's going to be all about the people who are part of the Wasp Broadheads organization. So I do have a discount code. Go to wasparchery.com. Enter the discount code NFC20. I highly recommend the four blade, uh, excuse me, the, the jackhammer three blade. Dude, I've destroyed some deer, and I hate to I, I, I hate to make it sound so gruesome, but that's exactly what their heads do. Majority of their heads are made in America, so go check them out. Vortex Optics, man, go check out the new Triumph HD. And uh, no, it's too early yet to talk about the other uh, the other product that they have coming. But there's a another product they have coming that I'll I'll mention here in a couple weeks. But uh, the Triumph HD, very very high quality uh, optic and it's very affordable as well, so go check that out. Uh, VortexOptics.com. Check out their re, while you're there. Read up on their VIP warranty code. Blue Sense. Another discount code here for you. NFC20, and that's going to get you 20% off of code. Blue Sense. And uh, dude, I'm I'm really looking forward to see, seeing the results of my mock scrape. Uh, kit that I've went out and I think I set out up five mock scrapes and I'm hoping that they're starting to use them I think the next time I go back to the property I won't touch the actual rope part of it but I will touch the uh, ground 
I'll freshen up the scrapes that I've made underneath of them. And I did it really well with a weed eater. So they're, they're kind of bare spots. Uh, so go visit CodeBlueSense.com, discount code NFC20. The Woodman's Pal, while I'm out there, I'm going to be continuing to find good tr uh, trail camera and tree stand locations and, uh, you know, be mobile all year round. And I'm going to need a habitat tool. Uh, some guys carry um, like a folding handsaw. I do as well, but the Woodman's Pal is also great habitat tool that allows you to hack bushes, cut vines, you know, pull, pull grassy like clumps out of the, out of the ground. And so the best thing to do is go visit woodmanspal.com and uh, read up on their, uh, their made in America product. And when you hold it in your hand, it's pretty badass, man. I mean, it is a very durable habitat tool. Uh, and it, they've been around since the 1940s. I think they have a history of working with the military, like World War II or something like that. So go check that out. And last but not least, man, we got Huntworth. Um, I got a box of Huntworth clothing that I'm looking forward to using this upcoming season. And as I start to use it, I will let you guys know um, how all of that uh, uh is, is working for me my likes my dislikes and things like that so uh huntworth go check it out and read up on man they got they got base layers they got mid layers they got late season stuff uh you name it they have they pretty much have an application for it so uh go check out huntworth <laughs> we done we done with the advertisement uh remember it's all about good vibes guys if you are so inclined here's where i would really appreciate go to itunes or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your podcasts, go leave a five-star review for the Nine Finger Chronicles. Let everybody know how uh, awesome and full of shit I am at the same time, and uh, give me a five-star review, and that just helps rank the podcast and uh, expose it to more people. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, man, if you're going to be in a tree stand, wear your safety harness. And let's get into today's episode with Mark Kenyon. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today we are joined by, well, honestly, one of the guys who inspired me to start the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Mr. Mark Kenyon. My man, what's up? Hey buddy, I'm uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm still a little salty after the beating <laughs> that you and Tony gave me the other day on Wired to Hunt. Uh, you guys spared no punches, but uh, I'm here with a smile on my face nonetheless. Well, I tell you what, we uh, we had a well. Number one, we had a really good time, but then <laughs> yeah. did you ever did you ever watch the show Entourage on HBO? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the main character there was this, uh, you know, really big movie star, and he ran around with his hometown crew, uh, pretty much brought all those guys out there. And the thing I like about that show is it's the buddies ha every once in a while would check him. And, you know, they're just like, oh, you're, you know, you think you're cooler than us and stuff like that. Not saying that that was the way, but they got their jabs into, even though that, yes. that, that guy was the, the, the major provider, if that makes sense. So, so are you alluding to, to that's what you and Tony did to me the other day? Mm. <laughs> so uh, what, what, what was the name of the uh, turtle? Are you turtle in this? Uh, in this oh, I'm definitely not turtle because <laughs> turtle goes on to do like really good things with his life. I am the dumb guy. Uh, Is that Mark Wahlberg's brother? Uh, not Mark Wahlberg's brother, but you, you, the main character's older brother. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm yeah. definitely that guy. I'm 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 the dumbass. So, oh, <laughs> uh, but he's the favorite. Everyone loves that guy. He was. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched that show, but that was uh, that was a good one. So, I got a call from my neighbor this morning when I'm at the bus stop, and he yeah. goes, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" I said, "Well, I, daughter's got dance, but other than that, no plans." And he goes, we need to have a talk with the boys, my two, like your oldest and my oldest. I'm like, why? What happened? <laughs> he, he was listening to them talk on the ring through his, on his front door. And they were dropping F-bombs and saying the S word no. and the B word. 
And I was like, I'll take care of mine. Oh, no. I'll, yep, I'll take care of mine. You take care of yours. And so I pulled him aside and I go, hey, buddy, um, this is what happened. He goes, no, no, no. I just said frick. I was saying frick, not the F word. And I go, buddy, he heard you. He heard you. And you could just see like, th- like life drain out of his body because he knew he was in trouble. Uh-huh. And he's just like, oh, man. So, and so I had to chew a little butt this morning, but out of, uh-huh. out of your boys, um, who gives you the most trouble, the oldest or the youngest? The oldest has, um, like the smart attitude. Like he will pick apart. If I try to explain like why he needs to do something or why we're doing something, he'll find like the error in my explanation or like the hole in yep. my, uh, in my case yep. and exploit that. Um, but it's the youngest who's like the crazy one. He's yeah. the one who just like, just does stuff for no good reason. You have no idea. Like just to spite you. He he, he yeah. gets a kick out of being like <laughs> the the stubborn pain in the ass just for the fun of it. Right. Um, so that's that's the dynamic between those two. Well, that your o- your oldest one sounds like my daughter, where I'm like. Hey, you got to go do this. You know, I, I come off with like brute force, but she's, she, I think she knows I'm dumb. So, so she is like <laughs> trying to make it as comp with the situation as complex with, as possible. And then there's times where she starts to debate me or argue with me. And in my head, I'm going, well, that's a valid point. But th- my exterior goes, I'm the dad, you know, like stop uh-huh. it, you know, just do what I say. But my, as far as my boys are concerned, my, my uh, youngest is the wild card for sure. My oldest one, he's pretty conservative in his approach to being wild. Like he'll like he like he'll he'll be naughty and say bad things. But my youngest, he will do bad things. Like he'll throw a yeah. baseball bat and he'll bounce off a car or something. You know, some he, he's <laughs> definitely the wild card. Man, they. Uh... They keep us on our toes, that's for sure. And it's so interesting to see, like, that dynamic between the different kids. And uh, what I wonder is, like, how much is just genetics yep. versus how much is their place in the house? Like, yeah. firstborn versus secondborn, or in yeah. your case, thirdborn. Uh, like, it's, it definitely seems like there are consistencies. Like, you hear so many people say, oh, yeah, the firstborn's like this. And there's so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And then secondborn, so different. And then they're all kind of, like, got that same, like, secondborn syndrome. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting to see that stuff come to light. And, uh, man, my boys, um, I have, n- they've not gotten caught cussing out like yours have, but Everett likes to watch meat eater a okay. lot. And Steve, you know, is, is he'll drop not F bombs on that, but he'll say shit and mm-hmm. damn and, and stuff like that. And so Everett, has started saying those words in certain <laughs> situations, like but only the kind of situation like that he would hear it with Steve saying it. So yeah. like we walked up to a lake the other day, like this summer, and he walks up and he looks at it, puts his hands on his hips, and says, "Holy shit, this water's clear." How do you not laugh at that? <laughs> it's like those kinds of things are popping up for me now. Oh, but hey, and that's the you know, bad words are bad, obviously, but. If you can, if you have a kid who's using them in the right context, right? Like yeah. your boy did, you're like, oh, proud, yeah. proud dad moment. But next time, don't use yeah. that. <laughs> you're kind of proud. Yep. But yep. Don't say that in front of your teacher. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, kids are crazy, right. man. Kids are crazy. That's the truth. Big question right now. Are you ready for the upcoming season? Um, yeah, I would say I feel pretty darn ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't give myself an A plus, yeah. but I would say I'm in like that B, B plus maybe. I feel I feel pretty good. Like there's always something more you could do, but like if I if I take like an honest assessment of like the time I have available and the chaos of life and all that kind of stuff, like given all of that. I feel like I've done pretty good considering and considering like I'm gone three months leading up to hunting season. Um, it's always chaos when I do get home. Um, so considering all that, I feel pretty good about it. Um, yeah. uh, 
I mean, there's a million things I could tell you right now. I wish I could still have gotten done, but mm. I am where I am. And yesterday was actually the last day I'm doing anything in the woods. I did I had one final last little project to do and checked on something. Um, and so now I'm done. Like hands off now. Now we're just waiting to hunt. Yeah, man. Are you there too? Or are no, you, uh, no, no. Uh, unfortunately not. I mean, so I've been battling a, so- a shoulder injury. And so I, this week is the first week of me picking the bow back up after about a two mm-hmm. or three week no go. Uh, and because I wanted to just give it some time to rest. I, and my bow was fairly dialed in before this now it's just getting back into the muscle memory i'm lucky i don't have any early october hunts so i want to try to be ready by october 1st but if i'm not per se it's not going to be a big deal because i don't go to south dakota until the third or fourth week of october anyway and so i might be a little behind but i don't know i'm not i'm not too terribly worried about it man the bow thing that you just mentioned shoulder injury um I experienced my first thing like that this mm-hmm. year, and it's kind of scary. It is when you see like a physical thing could knock you off your game. Mm-hmm. I, I got a really bad wrist sprain mm-hmm. earlier this summer, um, and it ended up being like so bad I couldn't shoot my bow for three months. Um, like I couldn't draw back, and so that what that happened in May. So from May through July, I didn't shoot at all, and I was like, geez, like I got I was. When I was getting into July, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine soon. It's going to be fine soon. And finally, I got into, like, early July. I, I tried to draw back, and I'm like, man, I really can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what am I going to do if I can't shoot this thing, you know, leading into September? Yeah. I, I had a moment flashback. I was like, am I going to have to get a crossbow? I know. <laughs> um, this, this is getting grim. But, um, but, no, fortunately, by August, I was able to – I cranked the bow down just a little bit, and then kind of my, I guess, recovery or whatever – um, was far enough along that I was able to comfortably comfortably draw then. So I've been shooting for the last month now consistently and feeling really good about it. So I'm, I'm back up to speed. Thankfully, everything was kind of in a good place before the injury. I was able to pick it right back up and uh, feeling good again. But that definitely was a, one of those eye-opening moments where you realize, like, geez, sometimes something out of your control can, can throw a curveball too. Yeah, and I thought it was fate for a while there for me because, you know, like – I, uh, I, I'm not going to say I talk trash on crossbows, but I've definitely voiced my opinion about crossbows over the last couple of years and where I feel that they belong within a hunting season. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then there was this moment where I'm just like, dude, there's no way I can shoot a crossbow. Like just for that reason alone. Now yeah, you get so much crap. Oh man. I, oh man. I would, you know, so, so that's why I was just like, you got to heal. You got to heal. You got to get it. And since then, I've had uh, a steroid shot in each shoulder, which has really helped a lot. And so I'm feeling good. And this week is back to business as usual. I won't go too crazy hard, but you're right, man. It's scary. I've had the wrist thing, too. There was one season all summer long, I had to wear a brace on my bow hand so it wouldn't, like, flex back and forth so much. And so... Yikes is all I can say. Yeah, no good. No good at all. Now what about what about your, you know, scouting that you did this year, your stand prep, your tree prep? I know you're using a saddle a little bit this year, right? Have you yeah. done any prep for that kind of stuff? Like cameras. I feel like last time we talked you were getting cameras out a little late too. Do you feel up to speed on all that? Uh, I have all my cell cams out, I'll say that. And it's provided me some, they're providing me some decent information. The, uh, this year was the first year, I don't know if you've ever used them, but the Cuddy Link system. Have you ever used the Cuddy Link system? I've not used the Cuddies. No. So, you like it? Well, so far, so good. Um, they're, they're sending me what I feel is accurate information given the, this time of year. I didn't get them out till August. And so the farm that, sure. do you remember the farm uh, that my main farm that you shed hunted that one year? Yep. So that river bottom is a no-go for cell service. And so I wanted to try the, the uh, this system out this year uh, to get some, you know, to see if it would work. And I could get some up-to-date data on some of that river bottom ground. Well, 
I got my big dog showed back up from last year. And so this will be my third year of history with this buck. Have never seen him from the stands. Uh, even though last year I didn't hunt my main farm at all, not even one time because I got the new farm, um, in a different part of the state. So anyway, um, he's up. And so now I'm playing that game and I'm sure you've played it too, where you get on, get on maps, whatever mapping service you use Onyx, you know, hunt stand, whatever. And I'm just like, where is this buck bedded? You know, where is he at? Where is he at? Man, that area you hunt there is so vast, and there's yeah. so much cover and topography. Like, it's got to be pretty hard to pinpoint where a deer like that is is living when there's so much cover available. I mean, there's no shortage of good habitat all around there. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly how you go about it, but it seems like a tall task. Well, but but the thing about it is, so I want to compare that to your to your Michigan farm. Like, I look at a map of your Michigan farm, you know, an aerial. And then I look at mine. I might have a little bit more big woods in the area, but I don't look at it like, oh, I only have X amount of acres to hunt. I look at it at more of a micro level where it's like, okay. And and I do that thing that that I talked about, the the dots, the Dan Johnson dots on a map, crazy shape (laughs) thing. And I do that all the time. So I've done that, that with this buck too. But do you feel... Be, do you think it's easier for you because you 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 can't hunt all the surrounding properties and it is a narrow like I can only focus on this or do you still take into consideration the terrain on the surrounding farms? So I do take into account what's on the surrounding farms for sure. Like I'm, I'm recognizing that these deer are using those other places too. Um, but to your point, I also know like what can I actually act on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about where else they are, but in the end, you know, the only thing I can actually do something about is is the couple intercepting points along the way that I can actually hunt. So I, you know, when I look at my maps and when I'm kind of doing something similar to what you're describing, I'm, I'm marking like where do I think these bedding areas are that they could be and then where are these feeding areas they might be going to and then how might they be traveling in between the two or if it's bedding area to bedding area same thing and then I'll, I'll mark kind of mentally in my head or even sometimes when i'm like like probably before opening day i'll go and i actually like i'll draw on a map just to like get all my ideas out on the page in front of me just to make sure i'm thinking about it right to make sure like i'm thinking at the big picture level too i'll i'll draw like okay this blue circle is this bedding here here's a blue circle i know there's a bedding here and just kind of mark all of it and then start like visit or visually representing it in front of my head and that's when i will look at the other properties around me that i can't hunt but i know stuff about them and i know how these deer are probably using them and then that does help you figure out like what's truly the best intercept point or what's truly the best way to get in between these two things um but but yeah when you're relatively limited it just makes your decisions easier because you know well i've got like like on this main piece that we talked about a lot you know there's there's basically two bedding areas that i can hunt and that's it and, and one of them is not even on the farm I can hunt. Really, I'm hunting on the edge of it. Um, and so there's there's only so many things I can do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's thinking through, okay, what are those things I can do? And then just picking the times to do it. Um, the timing and making sure you've got like, the right wind or the right situation, or the right time of year to, to hunt those couple places is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, I can't bounce from place to place to place to place to place because there's just not that many real kill spots. Yeah. And if I wanted to do that, if I wanted to just bounce all over the place, I would just hunt way too much in a bunch of places that aren't that good and then just educate everything. Yeah. Um, so what I end up, you know, trying to do is, is to have a bunch of other kind of secondary places, yeah. either permission places or public land or, you know, other places I can travel around the country to keep me busy until I have those, you know, best right. moments to figure out to take advantage of a deer like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Even though I've got a relatively small property here to act on, yeah. um, you know, I'm still, you know, doing all the crazy stuff I do, like spreadsheets, marking down mm-hmm. every time I see one of these deer and every daylight trail camera photo I have of these deer, and thinking through what are the conditions present on those days when they did move, and mm-hmm. you know, why were they here on this side? Like, I, I'm always trying to figure out some of these deer will be, you know, the the main buck I'm hunting this year almost never goes to that southern part of the property to that southern border uh bedding area he's always in that north bedding area or in and around that area 
Um, but every once in a while, he travels down, like very rarely, but why? So mm -hmm. what made him cross to the other side? What was going on that day or during that window? So I'm always trying to figure out, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, but like trying to ask those why questions. Yeah. Um, and if you can start finding those answers, then all of a sudden that's going to help you make, you know, better decisions. Yeah. And that's where I am definitely not envious of you specifically on that farm is because, you know, you're right on, on the farm that I talked that, um, my main farm that I hunt, dude, I got a thousand different access routes, right? It's so big. If I, if I wanted to, I could go way to the one side and flank mm -hmm. back in or way to the other side. So access access on any wind direction is it's really not a, an issue for me but for no. you man i i understand like i i i i've in the past i've given you a hard time for being conservative on that piece mm -hmm. but dude i get it i understand why you are because you yeah. know you you mess that up and the deer get shot by somebody else yeah it's i mean it's a very small little window i've got there to, to take advantage of and um there's other people all around just waiting for me to screw up so right. yeah right. and you know, more times than not it doesn't work out but if you can get those things to line up just right it's it's possible right and uh you know that's what i'm trying for every year so uh do you have a returning customer or do you have a buck that you that you're like please stick around you know please stick around i, I want to make that early season move on him yeah, so I've got a I've got a definite number one. Um, it's this buck. He's not like a, a giant deer in many you know for a lot of people, but he's the only five and a half year old buck I know of that I can hunt. Mm -hmm. um, so he's my oldest buck by far, and he's the first deer in this general area that I've ever hunted that I've been able to follow confirmed for four years. Oh, wow. So he stood out as a two year old. He was just like very wide, like short time, but very wide as a two year old. And so that year would have been the year that I was hunting the buck I called Tran. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, but everywhere I went to try to kill this buck Tran, this two-year-old was there. And always cruising by all the time. Um, so called him the wide nine back then. And then, yeah, the last, you know, three, there was three years of that. So two years where he was a deer I was passing. And then last year as a four-and-a-half-year-old, he was my number two deer. Um, did not get a crack at him, but killed uh, my number one, number three. Um, so now this year, he's the only five and a half year old. He's, you know, a big 10 pointer now, big body wide, really cool deer. Um, so he's, he's the number one. He's the one that I've got all that history with, um, a couple cool things with this deer that make him kind of extra special. One is that, uh, the last shed antler that my dog found before passing away was this deer's antler. Oh, wow. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. Like mm -hmm. I've got. The last shed that Booner found belongs to this deer. So it'd be very cool to kind of come full circle on that. Um, and then the first mature buck that my son ever, ever saw while hunting with me was this deer. We hunted together um, two different times trying to get a shot at this buck last year during gun season. Um, I'd seen him when doing some long distance glassing, realized he was in a spot that I could actually hunt from like a kid friendly location, maybe with a gun. And so I was like, you know what, why not? Let's take a let's take a shot at it. I think I, I'm sure, I, I think I told you about this last year a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but the long story short of it is that we went out twice and saw him both times and both times could have taken a shot. Um, but just was not a shot. Like I was a thousand percent happy about like comfortable with one of them was like at the very far extent of my comfortable range that I wanted to shoot at. And the second day was a situation where he came out like right at last light and I had to stand up in the blind and like lean the gun out the window. And so it was like not a super stable situation, very, very low light, like literally within like 60 seconds of the end of shooting light in both situations like that. I was like, you know, I don't want my first time shooting at a deer with my son with me to be a situation that goes bad. It's yeah. just not worth it. Yeah. Um, so I held off in both cases. Um, but all that said, you know, very cool experience forever to have. So he's kind of bought in on trying to get the wide nine too, since he was a part of it last year. Um, so I'm very excited about that deer. He's, he's definitely a deer that's around, um, but he kind of lives like on the edge of the property that I have access to. Um, so he's in and out. Um, I, I think I've got a decent chance, but I wouldn't say it's in the bag. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's two bucks that would be 
four and a half year olds this year that probably will also be on the list. Um, there's one deer that's for sure back. He's like a really nice big nine pointer now. Um, he's a cool buck. And then there's a third that hasn't shown back up, but historically he doesn't show up until October. Okay. So I have two years of previous history with him and he showed up both years in October. Um, and if he does show back this year, he could be like a really cool buck. Um, he had triple brow tines the last two years. Wow. Um, once as a two-year-old and a three-year-old. So now as a four-year-old, you know, he might've blown. And if that's the case, he'd be like a really unique, uh, extra school buck from an antler perspective, at least. So waiting yeah. on him. So those are like my home area deer. Um, and then I picked up a new property that I'm investing a bunch of time in this year. Um, that's got some potential on that farm. I don't have like any specific buck that I'm really targeting. I'm just going to target any kind of four and a half year old deer out there. And I think there'll, there'll be some like that come hunting season. Yeah. Um, and then the Northern Michigan deer camp, you know, as we talked about, I can't remember when we talked about it, but doing a bunch of projects up there, improving the habitat, continuing to try to work up there. And, um, you know, it's, it's looking pretty good. And there's been a couple pretty nice deer show up on camera so far, but again, that's like a fall. It's like you don't get a whole lot of summer activity. So, you know, if I'm up there hunting anything that's three, maybe even two and a half would be a shooter up there Yeah. just because of how special it would be to kill a deer up at the deer camp again Yeah. Um, with my family. So, so that's, you know, where like the Michigan hunts and Michigan goals kind of stand right now. Yeah. So talk to me about the contributing factors to failure or success on, on your main Michigan farm, given the, the limited access and, and not wanting to pressure deer off that piece yeah well um there's probably two things that'll make her partially make or break um my hunts there one is going to be will i have good conditions during the windows i have to hunt yeah um because right there's different trips i have to go on there's different things i'm, I'm working on throughout the season that are going to keep me away from this area during some of the best times. Yeah. Um, so like I'm going to have like a three day window at the beginning of the season and then I'll have a little bit of time in the middle of October and then a couple days at the end of October. So not, you know, not a ton. And then I'm going to have a, you know, the first day or two in November and then I'm gone for a big stretch and then I'll have a couple days before gun season and then end of gun season and then most of December. So like there's, there's big chunks of those first two months though yeah. that I won't be able to get a crack. Um, so if I've got the right wind and like decent temps and stuff, I feel good that I've got a chance at getting a shot at one of those deer. But if I happen to have like a wonky wind direction on those few days here and there, or like really warm temperatures that put everything down, um, you know, that kind of ops out of my hands kind of thing can, can really screw me. Um, like a straight South wind or a straight North wind can be tough for this farm. Cause I've got those bedding areas, those two small bedding areas to the North and South. And, and really it works best when I have something east or west that's kind of blowing in between those two. I can get to either side and, and push between them. So I kind of need that to work out. Um, and then the other thing, which which sort of was in my control, sort of out, is, um, you know, I'm able to do some, some habitat improvements on one of these pieces in that area. And that's the spot where historically I've planted a couple food plots, and those food plots have really helped me you know, pull those deer onto my side of the line out of those bedding areas. Um, if not killing them on the food plot, you know, on the way to them. Mm -hmm. And man, we have had this horrible drought this yeah, summer Same. and it has really hurt my plots. Yeah. Um, I've had to like reseed these plots multiple times, one of them three times now. And that's like my big one, like a little more than an acre. I mean, it's not big compared to a lot of people but for me around here like a little more on an acre is like something i'm really going to depend on yeah and man it's it's sparse it's rough and i just can't buy any rain like there's supposed to be two days full of rain was the, the forecast was predicting up until yesterday and so yesterday i'm i'm trying to kind of reclaim this failed food plot by spreading rye over top of everything so top seeding rye over this food plot ahead of a rain and that will in many cases fill the gaps in a spotted food plot because rye will grow very easily. It's very, you know, it's pretty drought tolerant. It's It can grow, just be, be thrown on top of things. Um, you just need rain. And yeah. so there's supposed to be all this rain. So I went and I put like 200 pounds of rye down yesterday, like really going heavy on it to try to get something to work. 
and then we got like 15 minutes of rain today and now it's all cleared up and now they're not predicting anything more it's uh it's just been like that over and over again every day or every week there's like ah, oh, there's a chance of rain today and then we just get a little tiny bit yeah so this could be like one of my most one of my most uh disappointing food plot years out here and if i don't have that that makes it a, a lot harder to get a crack at these deer because there's so much elsewhere around as far as food that they can go and key in on and my food plots have always acted as like a like the ice cream stand yep and so even though there's a lot of ag around me there's also actually a lot of neighboring properties now that plant food plots too like a bunch of people have got plots around me and a lot of people manage now and so i know like i used to be like this one great ice cream stand in town now i'm not the only, i'm not the only one and now mine's like a crappy one yeah so i've i've tried really hard to to not have that be the case this year and i'm just getting bad luck with the water yeah. so that's another thing that um i'm currently sweating a little bit so yeah. if if they end up not being the draw that i'm hoping that they will be i'm just gonna have to you know probably depend more on those rut sits and really hope to take advantage of, of what they're doing around the bedding areas if they're not keying in on the food um i don't have like a bunch of hardwood mass that i can i can't hit i can't hunt acorns i don't have fruit trees yeah um I've got corn on the main farm this year, so like deer will be feeding in that. It's just very hard to get them. Um, you know, it's hard to get them keyed in on a specific place when you've got just the big standing for cornfield. But yeah. you know, th there's ways to work around it. I still think I've got a chance, but those things will make it a little more challenging. Yeah, for sure. Let's say the uh, rain comes, food plots grow, and all is well on your farm again or even in, in a, an average year where the food's growing good are you are you ever with the mindset that you would lay off a rut or you know if you're not getting the, the conditions that you need to lay off the rut and always think hey man i have the late season and the food to fall back on so i've i've never laid off on the rut completely mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely have, um, actually looked at the rut as man, like hunt because you never know what's possible during the rut. Mm -hmm. But I, I've, I've had a whole lot prep, like the last like five to eight years, definitely the last five years. I've just found that, man, if you don't blow these deer out of here, um, and you get a little bit of luck, this, this area that I can hunt usually a few of the deer I'm at can make it through gun season if you don't go in there and mess it all up. Yeah. And so then I, I almost always have a good chance of something late. So I've started to think that way now more and more that I've got that like second window of opportunity. So, so really like I've, I've done really well in this area early season. And then I've had like, I've, I've passed on like some pretty good bucks during the rut, but never one of my target targets. Um, and then I've killed a bunch of them that latter part of November and December. Okay. So I, I just, I don't feel the need to force things anymore. I used yeah. to feel like, man, like end of like, you know, leading into gun season, which is the 15th of November. I used to think like the 12th, 13th, 14th, I had to like go crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually pushing, I'm pulling back from that a little bit because if I can keep these deer feeling comfortable on the 13th and 14th, maybe they'll stay on me during the 15th, 16th and 18th or, you know, through that window when there's a million guys out there. Yeah. And if I can get them through that first week of gun season, um, yeah, I do feel pretty good about my chances later in the season. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I definitely look at my windows as like early season, a good opportunity. And then late October, I feel like there's another window. And then I kind of then bounce back into late November, December is what's kind of been the, the three best chances I usually have yeah. the rut for whatever reason. And that first few weeks of November has never been really, really great on this property. Um, it's okay. And there's certainly like lots of deer running around, but mm -hmm. the oldest bucks, you know, kind of, kind of disappear. I was just looking at photos, uh, going back and like, I've got a, a chart, kind of like a spreadsheet where I've kept track of all of my daylight photos and observations of all the different bucks that are three or older. Um, and I was looking like last year, November, even photos of these bucks. Like it was like very little going on from November, like fourth until like the 20th, there was a big window there where there was like very little activity. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what, how to account for that. And, and that's yeah. not rare. Like that's a thing like every year during that kind of window, it kind of dries up. So I don't know if that's just because there's so it, what it probably is, is that this is, there are so many does in this area and not as many bucks that it's just so easy for bucks to get out of dough 
that they 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 lock down with a doe for a couple of days and then immediately once they break off they pick up another doe within 12 hours or something mm-hmm. and then they're locked down again and then they break off like there's not a need for these bucks to cruise and cruise and cruise and search all yeah. over the place during that window because there's 50 60 does just waiting for them yeah well, that and the fact that maybe the does on your property go into heat early and then there's a window where they're not in heat and then they are another maybe doe group in the area goes in the later part of November. True. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day when you and I were talking about my Holyfield hunt, remember mm-hmm. that guy? Yep. Um that that window there I noticed like every year around like the 24th or 25th of October, there was this huge burst of activity and that always ended up being like sometimes the best week I had on this in this area was that like 24th through the 30th. <laughs> And I started thinking, like, there must be, like, a doe family group or a matriarch doe in that group that comes in early every year. Because year after year, I was seeing that. Yeah. And um, and that's that's continued to stay kind of true. Yeah. I mean, dude, if, if, a, if a guy can observe that and have enough smarts to be like, you know, hey, dude, this is a thing. That, I mean, it's just another thing to use in calculation of when to hunt or where to hunt. And so I think, yeah. you know, I don't know if a, um, a lot of people even maybe they just don't care enough to observe that or, or want to know that stuff. But, man, I'll tell you this, the same the same type of scenario uh, on my main farm, like it is pre rut. I'm not joking. We start somewhere in the 25th of October and there we see a, a uptick in in mature buck activity all the way until I would say November 3rd, 5th time frame. And that in my in in my opinion that's the pre-rut right there on the farm that I hunt. Mm-hmm. And then after that is when shit starts to get weird. And and that would that's what I would consider the rut, but it's all based off the doe group. Right? Yeah. So yeah. All right. Um I want to talk a little bit about Nebraska, and it's because I watched the re- uh, last couple episodes of One Week in November. All right. Yeah. And so last year, uh, so I, I take it you've done, you did the e scouting last year, before yep. last year's Nebraska hunt. Did you do yep. any boots on the ground scouting out there before that hunt? No. No. So, so a, a little, uh, clarity though i guess for you or i guess i'll add on i did not do any boots on the ground scouting on that property leading up to the hunt last year but i did hunt there two evenings the year prior okay so the situation out there is like i i I had hunted public land out in this general area in 2021 and while i was there hunting public i was able to contact the owner of this property and got permission to hunt his farm okay um and i did that just twice the the last two nights of my time out there I hunted this property okay um so I, I i the extent of what that looked like though was like i drove across some of this area and then i hunted like you know like i'm talking like a 10 acre area maybe i could see like a several couple of like 100 yard 200 yard like zone was basically what i went into this one little bedding pocket that i hunted both of those nights yeah so I had that experience from the prior year, two evenings sneaking in and glassing and then like making a move on a deer in that pocket. And then coming into last year when I had full permission to come back and hunt it for a full week leading to that hunt, I, I e-scouted and really, really studied it and, and sat down and thought about how I thought deer would be using this and all that. And then I arrived the night before the hunt and glassed one evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the extent of my scouting leading into the hunt you saw. Okay. All right. So you, you had a little bit of knowledge there. Yep. Last year you shot a, a, a good buck um, and you found him good, you know, good information. So, I mean, it's, it's just like there's good deer in the area. Um, what did you learn about that property last year that gives you confidence going back to the same property this year? Yeah, a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, leading into that hunt like when i first got permission there and i looked at the map the first thing i thought was like man this is a lot of grass and not a lot of cover mm-hmm. they're gonna hold deer um the public land i was hunting had a lot more cover than this 
And so I was a little worried, like, man, this, like, the public land's got a lot more cover, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it even worth hunting this private? Because it just looks like there's some brushy stuff along the river, um, some few, you know, a few scattered cottonwood, you know, groves and stuff. Um, you know, how much is really going on here? And so, you know, I hunted those two nights, and that showed, like, I saw a couple nice bucks during those first two nights. So that told me, okay, yes, there are deer using this. But then last year, I still had those questions, like, was that a fluke? Um what's really out here what kind of deer numbers are we talking about it's pretty obvious to assume how deer are going to move in a situation like this because right. it's it's big grassy areas and then there's a river bottom and then there's trees and brush and willows and stuff along the river so the only cover is really along this river bottom so it's you know there's, there's going to be that parallel movement going alongside the river with that cover yeah um but i'm also wondering like man where are these deer feeding? There's, there are some crops out there, but they're a long ways away. Um, so are they traveling, you know, a three quarters of a mile or a mile across this open grass to get to these irrigated fields? Like what, what's going on there? Um, and so what I saw last year, both, you know, my, my night of scouting paid off dividends, like the single night to sit up there with a spotting scope and binoculars and just watch a large area. So helpful. Yeah. Um, that confirmed several things for me. Number one, it confirmed there's a lot more deer in these small patches of cover than you would imagine. Um, you don't need trees to hold whitetails, right? Right. Um, you're coming from the Midwest. We always think like, oh, big timber and swampy stuff like that's great. But out here, like just bushes and little shrubby stuff and tall grass can hold a lot of deer. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening here. Like there was a lot of deer in this cover, even though it didn't look like a whole lot. So that was number one. Uh, number two, I confirmed that yes, there's deer travel going up and down the river bottom like I expected, but then there's also travel coming off the river bottom and go, like going perpendicular to it and heading out over the grassy hills to head for those irrigated fields. So I confirmed like, all right, they are going to these big food sources um, and they're not afraid to travel across the open, you know, last light and first light. Um, so that told me something. Um, I confirmed that there's like mature bucks yeah. without a doubt like i saw a good number of mature bucks in a couple days out there so that just told me what i thought which is man i don't think this property is getting pounded too hard i think there's a decent age class um and i confirmed that for sure and then you know that that night of hunting you know it it, it told me like that the i had a, a simple plan and my simple plan was that if i could be where a pinch point meets a bedding area and have my wind blow over the river, that's like a dynamite setup. And so mm-hmm. basically what you have here in this area is you imagine like a S, like an S curving river. And on every one of those bends in the river, it creates like an oxbow. Mm-hmm. And on the inside bend of that is a pocket of cover. Yep. And so my assumption was like on every one of those pockets of cover within the S, there's going to be bedding. And then on the outside bend of those curves, there's always some trees, but not a lot of cover. And so my assumption was like on those outside bends where there's a tree line, but not a lot of cover that's going to create a pinch point because the bucks that are cruising want to go to every one of those S bend bedding areas, but I'm not going to have a good chance of killing them inside that bedding area. Cause there's like a big area that could be anywhere, but those little outside bends where there's a, you know, 20 yard wide strip of timber, that's going to pinch them. Yeah. So I thought if I just look at this map and look at what the wind direction is doing on any given day and find a spot where one of those pinches butts up really close to the bedding area and have the wind blow across the river. That is, that's what I'm looking for every day, depending on what the wind does. Yeah. That was my theory. And then the first night I watched an area like that, saw what I wanted to see next day. I slipped in there and hunted it and, uh, and deer did what I thought they would do. So coming into this year, um, I don't think I need to reinvent the wheel. I think I'm going to take a similar approach uh, but also recognizing that, you know, I might not necessarily have a good buck come through that very first night. I might need to bounce from spot to spot to spot like that, but there's a handful of locations that fit that criteria. Yeah. Um, so that's my, my high level plan coming in. So your back was to the water? There, there... That's right. Okay. Dude, I'm telling you, if you can find a scenario like what you just described, it's pretty money because if you were to, and and maybe you'll confirm this, but I can go down to the river and where all this public is by my house and I've scouted it before. And usually there is a trail that from the, 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 I don't know, the furthest East or furthest West when the, the S comes up, then comes down and creates the peninsula on the top of that mm-hmm. peninsula. 
there is a trail that runs right along the river, a, a main trail, and doesn't necessarily dip down into the peninsula. It just yeah. runs right across that. Then it connects with the river, and then the there's another S in the river. And it, did you can did you find that that's how they were moving, and that's where there's a main trail? Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a main trail going along there. Um, and and, and I, so I think there's cruising that's going along that. Like some of the bucks aren't going to go all the way in. Um, some of the deer did come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in the morning I hunted, well, the first evening that I watched, I saw bucks pop out of that and then work the edge like we're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also saw some of those bucks work that edge, but then turn and start working purpose. So they work the river bottom just in that way. And then they turn and start heading out into the open to head towards those food sources following mm-hmm. the does. The next morning I saw bucks come back across, so moving perpendicular into the river. And then once they hit the river, then you saw them turn and start working down the parallel line, like you said. Um, and then the, the second night I saw them, they, they must have went into one of those pockets embedded. And I saw two really good bucks come out of that. And then they both, you know, did exactly the same thing. So they came out and then when they hit that line, they both turned and started working parallel. Okay. One of them, there was kind of two parallel trails that worked by the edge that I was on. And one of them worked like right down beneath me almost like I had a 130 something inch 10 pointer come like right dead nuts, right towards me, basically came right underneath my tree. Um, and simultaneously to that, the big seven pointer that I ended up shooting was he worked out, you know, being, you know, 35 yards or so out from me um, and was working that way. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it, you couldn't write up, a much better scenario than that for a predictable yeah. rut kind of movement. So I'm hoping for that. I'm also going to bring, um, I'm getting a new buck decoy this year. Pretty nice one that I'm excited about. And so I want to try that out. Yeah. So I'm going to bring that kind of just for fun because I think this area could work really well for that. Cause there's a good edge structure and a lot of open space. Um, so that could be a really fun thing to do too, especially if like, if for whatever reason my plan's not working, that's a fun wild card to throw out there and see if that can get something moving too. Little, little whitetail adrenaline strategy going on. Yeah, I uh, I've got the handheld whitetail adrenaline one, and then also like a Dave Smith full body one that I'm gonna try this year, which which is night and or head and shoulders above what I've used in the past. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be cool just to see how deer react to that. Man, I've always wanted to do some of that, and I think as I get as I get more invested in going to, uh, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, uh, North, South Dakota, you know, the, the plain States, I, I definitely want to try more decoying, uh, in that, in those yeah. types of scenarios. So, okay. Uh, in Nebraska, you know, you had success this year, the previous year you went to Nebraska, didn't have success, but yep. in the past before that, like it's, Nebraska's been treating you pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I got another really good one out there a few years before that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it has treated me well. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get back. Heck yeah. All right. Now that's a, that's a place that you've had experience with. It sounds to me like, you know, what you're, you know, you know what you're going to do once you get out there, there's no real big secrets. You also are going on another out of state hunt and have no experience it's uh just e-scouting from my understanding so far right yeah where's where's that so that's going to be in wisconsin okay um so so yeah that's the plan wisconsin that hunt comes up here like next week i take off to leave for that one wow so that's coming up soon and do you want to walk you through my scouting ideas or plans for that public so it was originally going to be public, mm-hmm. um, but I had like a, it's a long story, um, but basically some work things came up that were going to force me to have to add some travel to my September that I wasn't planning on. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I decided I needed to cut down on this hunt length because I just couldn't be gone from my family for so long. Yep. So I put two days off the trip. So when I cut two days off the trip, I started thinking like, man, is there like, it's almost impossible to kill a deer in the area I was originally planning on trying to hunt in just like two and a half days yeah. or three days. Um, 
And so I started brainstorming, like, is there any other option I have? Like, can I find access somehow in like a, in a place where there's at least a higher deer density or something? Cause originally I was talking, like I was going to hunt Northern Wisconsin, big woods, public land, yeah. um, which is, you know, hard enough if you know it, let alone brand new, let alone no scouting opportunities ahead of time. Right. Um, so I started looking farther South and trying to see if there's something and, you know, the long and short of it is I ended up kind of realizing that I've got a friend down in an area who has in the past, you know, light, lightly offered hunting permission if I ever want to take him up on it and just hadn't thought about it. Um, and then in this case, I thought, man, this might be the perfect scenario. I, I only have like three days. Um, this might be the ticket. So, so now I'm hunting down kind of South central ish, Wisconsin on a piece of private land that I have permission on um, just three days still. So it's still gonna be pretty short. Um, but I don't have any boots on the ground information. Yeah. Um, Walk us through what this farm looks like, this terrain, uh, ag, big woods. What are we, what are we talking? Yeah. So it's kind of that mixed timber and ag. This is down in that hilly part of Wisconsin where they've got you know nice bluffs and ridges and stuff. So there are fields up high. So on this farm in particular, there's like a pretty big soybean field up top. And then there's a big timbered ridge that runs along the side. And then there's standing corn on the lower tier of the farm with some more timber down around that as well. Um, so there's all that that looks like there's a bunch of oaks too. Um, you know, I was able to confirm the crops that were planted there with the landowner. So I know that. And then, you know, using my app, I use Onyx. I was able to, you know, see what kind of tree cover was there. So they showed me where there's mixed oaks and white oaks. So I've got a decent understanding of what kind of, mast is available there um and you know i'm hunting opening weekend of the season Mm -hmm. so i know at that time of year that soybeans could still be green and still be a a top food source hopefully so i'm I'm going into it hoping that 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 top soybean field is still you know attraction number one and so that's going to be kind of the central focus of where i think deer are going to be heading towards in the evening um being that it's early season, I'm looking at my my evening hunts as my best opportunity, but with so little time to hunt, I'm going to hunt mornings yeah. um, just because I just don't have a lot of hunts. Um, I'm just trying to find some places to hunt in the morning that won't impact the evening hunt locations. Yeah. So my e-scouting has involved, you know, what I just described there, trying to identify what do I think the main food sources are going to be. And then, then I started looking, you know, with my aerial topography up, and my topographic lines on there as well i'm trying to think okay where would i think that bucks would be bedding and so in this region you know the obvious expectation is that these bucks are bedding off of points there's a whole lot of big timbered points that come off of these big bluffs um, that just look like you know your stereotypical ideal buck bedding area so i've got a handful of those that likely have some deer and probably some bucks bedded on them um and then the thing i've been trying to think about now is like, okay i probably there's going to be deer heading this bean field probably bucks are going to be coming off of these points. Um, is there any kind of spot within the spot in that zone? Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to look at, all right, if I'm assuming bucks are coming off of these three different points, which one of these three different points would work best with the predicted winds right now? Which one of these three different points maybe has like a micro feature that might pinch some of that movement down into a spot I could take advantage of from a bow mm-hmm. stand? Um, so I'm looking like where the ditches come up, like where, you know, your, your drainages come up and down off those top bluffs. Is that going to make a spot where deer have to kind of come around it? Um, I've been looking and zooming in trying to find like, is there any little water hole or something that I can't see? Obviously that might be a little key feature. Um, and then also thinking for night number one, you know, is there a location that I can get to where I can just see a lot of the food source too? Cause yeah. I can make a lot of assumptions based on e-scouting, but man, one night of observation, um, you know, like it was in Nebraska, like one night can really be huge. Yeah. Um, so, so I've been thinking that through as well, like mm-hmm. where's a spot where I could see a lot of this food source to get an idea of like where these most deer are coming out of that. Then I could then jump onto for the next two nights and take advantage of. Yeah. Um, so, so that's some of the, the first things I've done from an e-scouting perspective, the high level stuff. Yeah. Man, that time, that, that area in Wisconsin is not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some guys will, you know, down here, there's nothing where I hunt that is that difficult to access. I mean, you're coming out of the Mississippi River Valley, and I'm not sure how far yeah. into, um, 
uh, Wisconsin you're going, but I've definitely been e-scouting because Wisconsin is a potential on my uh, on my uh, list this year. It's like if yep. I tag out and everything is right, I'm going to try to go up to Wisconsin just because it's close. And yeah. so, but you look at it, dude, and that's why I love like uh, Onyx or some of the other mapping that allows you to go 3D because when you look yeah. at something 2D, you're like, oh yeah, I can climb up that hill. But then you take the two fingers and slide it and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm gonna be sweating. Bit. I'm gonna be sweating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be um, you know, probably some of the hilliest stuff I've hunted for whitetails. Yeah, or, I mean, to a degree, at least hilliest ag kind of country right. where there's where there's you know the thermals will be a big mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really trying to think through not just you know how are the deer moving, but also making sure I don't forget about the the impacts that. That, that topography is going to have on my wind and the thermals and all that and uh, just another layer that you have to account for yeah um that uh that'll make it interesting if nothing yeah. else well i'll tell you this that big terrain is why wisconsin has some good deer i mean yep. that like guys just aren't going in and out of that like you would here in iowa right or maybe yep. even michigan they are yep. you know that that they're they're chilling on top or they're chilling on bottom and hoping they come in and out but if you know i dude if you do if if a guy plays his cards right in there man i feel like he could definitely like run into good deer yeah i think you're right i i wish i had more time because i feel like if i had if i had like a normal amount of time Mm -hmm. um i would feel pretty good um with only three days it's gonna be tough yeah um so with that said i'm I'm not gonna be very picky um Number one goal is just gonna be kill a doe. Really, I yep. want to get a deer. Yep. Uh, start the season off right. Get one under the belt. Get a good clean shot. Um, have some fun with that. So I'll, I'll, you know, be trying to shoot a doe, and then, you know, man, if there's a three year old buck that gets me excited, he's in trouble. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. I'm not gonna be very picky at all. Yeah. So, uh, and even if it's the right two year old, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I've got I've got the green light to to shoot any deer on this property. They're trying to lower the deer density, so uh, it's it's really whatever gets me excited. And um, you know, on a trip like this, that you know, really I'm just trying to have a good time, learn a new place. Um, I'm just gonna just gonna enjoy it and see what feels right. Heck yeah, dude. Well, sounds like uh, sounds like you got another full uh, docket this uh, this fall, man. I, I this cold front coming through Iowa right now. So last. Yesterday it was heat index of 103. Today outside right now it's like 70. And Size. I, oh dude, like if there was a day that tipped it off for me, it's today, right now. Coolness in the. I mean, I wore a I wore a long sleeve shirt to the bus stop this morning. I was feeling, yep. I, dude. I've I was feeling a little bit hard horned myself today <laughs> get a little ready the velvet is off <laughs> if you know what i mean uh huh and so uh-huh. yeah man i'm right there with you oh dude so here's what i'll say mark we got to stay in touch this this uh this fall like always i'm sending sure. good vibes your way hopefully you slay in all your adventures and uh, man good luck thanks buddy right back at you i uh, i will be looking forward to come back here or you coming on wired to hunt to uh to share some success stories here in the next couple of weeks because it's it's got to happen right hell yeah all right man let's do it and there you have it another episode in the books huge shout out to mark for taking time out of his day huge shout out to tethered wasp vortex ozonics code blue woodman's pal huntworth Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And yeah, that's about it, man. That's about it. Good vibes in, good vibes out. And if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. We'll talk to you next week.